Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jade. Sophie, how are you? Good. How are you doing today? Good. It was really creepy. I was just massaging my breasts as I said, hey, Sophie. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. What's new? I know. I know. How are (laughs) you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to start off with my highs and lows because it's relates to how I am right now. Sure. We are going away tomorrow to Fraser Island for four days. So that is prematurely my high of the week. So I hope it's actually really great, even though everyone's warning me about like the dingoes and that your kids can't eat in public and everything. But anyway, going on holidays, so that's my high of the week. What do you mean my you can't lo- eat in public? Oh, apparently there's heaps of dingoes around and like at one beach it they like recommend that if you're going to eat, you eat in this like cage they've got so the dingoes can't get you and I'm just like, Oh, Goldie's at that extremely edible age that if I were to be a dingo, she's the first one I would go after. Oh, yeah. So, you know, that's concerning. All right. Well, I'll wish you the best of luck in that department. (laughs) But my low of the week is, look, to anyone that doesn't know, when we do these podcasts, we obviously record the intros separately to the actual episode because we do a bit of a recap of our week etc etc so we're not actually recording this like during the day normally when we record with our guest we're recording this at eight at night and of course at 4 a.m tomorrow we are heading off on our trip so our law of the week is I haven't actually finished packing yet I can hear in the background that Poppy's still freaking awake and we're leaving at four o'clock tomorrow morning but hey I do it to myself every single time this is just me I work best under pressure Well, I wish you the absolute best on the packing department and I hope everyone wakes up fresh as F in the morning and that you guys are all ready to roll for Fraser Island. No, I'm hoping the kids wake up not fresh and then they just like keep sleeping in the car, but that may be dreaming. Yeah, well, you know, let's let's start and dream big and then we can go from that. Or let's just be realistic. <laughs> I know. And don't don't ask me for any advice on travelling with kids because it always turns to absolute crapola. But anyway. And what are your highs and lows of the week? Yeah, I've got some highs. My high is that school is back, baby. And I love my children, but they were absolutely raring to go. They were dressed and ready from head to toe at 6.30am. I was barely able to open my eyeballs, mainly because Yumi kept on waking us up throughout the week about 3am wanting to come in and just sleep in the middle, which she never, ever does. But I feel like because she's had this broken arm, she feels like she can get away with everything. So we're like... Oh, all right. Maybe she's cold. All right. Let's just put her in the middle. And she's loving it. She is loving it. It's like her only like little sense of her time with both of us. So she just lays there and he's like secretly giggling. It's actually really cute. So what does that have to do with school? Sorry. Oh, sorry. I was just saying that my (laughs) high is that school is back and then it went straight into a low of Yumi keeping me awake. (gasps) Sorry, I didn't make that clear enough for you. (laughs) That is absolutely fine. I I just thought that it was going to lead into like something to do with school. It's no, fine. It's just fine. school is back. That was all. All right. Let's get into our rude or fabulous segment, shall we? Yeah, I absolutely pissed myself at this one today. We got one sent in and it said, sticking with the trend of rude or fabulous being about old ladies saying something that's inappropriate. The other day while I was at my husband's family's house, his nana, who was sitting with her face what felt like an an inch away from my nipple watching my four-month-old have a breastfeed, looks me dead in the eye and goes, you better learn how to put a pussy on the next one. <laughs> oh, my God. Grandma. She said, I've got two boys and my husband has five brothers. Maybe it's just an old lady thing. She thinks she's fabulous, but I just think she's got no filter. So this Nana literally told her like granddaughter-in-law, 
to put a vagina on the next child because there's too many boys in the family. Look, to be fair, I'm going to say that this is fabulous. It's pretty outrageous and it's pretty I kind of thought it was fabulous too. Yeah, I reckon this is another level. But what I liked after that she said that, she also says, no, you asked the question, is she great or straight up nasty? And she replies, She's nasty but thinks it's her way of showing she cares and worse is that she's got a bit of <laughs> dementia. So she said the pussy thing like five times in the hour while we were there and it's too much. <laughs> <laughs> so this chick didn't just cough it once, she coughed it five times and then she's like, okay, we've got to go. I'm sick of your nana talking about me puss- putting a pussy on the next child. Oh, oh God. Did you have a favourite lowbrow mum hack of the week? Okay, a mum hack came in and it was my two-year-old boy always loves playing in the car when we get home. So to get him inside, I pretend I see a bug and he runs in and I tell him he has to find it. It buys me about 10 minutes to get inside and unpack the shopping and then he comes up to me and says, oh, there's no bug. And she goes, yeah, it must have flown away. (laughs) (laughs) brilliant absolute classic i love that that is so good so cheeky yeah so just you know that's just like tasteful tricking of children absolutely love it now we're super excited for this week's episode because we feel like it's going to help hopefully a lot of parents out there because we're talking about all things tantrum which is just the bane of so many mothers and fathers existences so yeah we chatted to alex ems she is a parenting coach and has worked a lot with children on their behavior. And yeah, I think she had so many amazing tips and tricks on how we can better deal with tantrums as Yeah, she was absolutely fabulous. And the best part about that was, is it was one of the first times we were able to have a face-to-face conversation that we used to do at the start before COVID. And it was so nice to actually have the person in the room and to have a a real good in-depth convo. So we absolutely love that. We hope that we have more of them to come. And also I will say that even in the past few days since we did this interview, I've actually been trialing some of the techniques with Poppy and I've actually found they have been making the world of difference. And Poppy even turned to me the other day and she goes, mum, I'm feeling frustrated. And that was the first time I've heard her really like name an emotion like that. So I was incredibly amazed. So I hope everyone else gets just as much out of this episode. While everyone gets into listening to the episode, I'm going to go help my child who's refusing to go to bed. So enjoy. (laughs) Hello, Alex. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today to talk about a lot of mum's probably least favorite topic, but something they need maybe the most help or guidance in, and that is toddler tantrums. To get us started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, your family, how you came to be an expert on tantruming? (laughs) Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm Alex and I was a teacher for, well, 10 years before going on maternity leave with my first son. And during that time, I became a wellbeing coordinator and a behavior teacher at the school where I coached both teachers and parents on children's behavior and also worked really closely with kids with higher behavior needs. So that's my background. And then after having my son, who's now three, uh, it took me right into a lot of research in toddlerhood and it was really linked to the behaviors that you saw when when they got older. And of course, well-being. Yeah, what I teach is all about well-being and behavior because they're linked. Amazing. And when is it normal for tantrums to start? With my son, I saw it start probably after he turned one and then it really ramped up around 18 months and sort of kept going from from there. So I think around that time is when the frustrations really set in for the kids, but you could see it earlier. I think meltdowns and tantrums are also, you know, you might see a few more meltdowns, which are not really as full on as tantrums as well, which we would call tantrums. When do they end? Because my husband <laughs> still has them. How old, are we? How old is he now? 30? He's 12. <laughs> oh, a man tanty. Yeah, a man tanty. I love that. Unfortunately, I can't help with those. No, <laughs> I no one I could. can. Um, <laughs> 
what is a tantrum? Like, why on earth do they exist? What is the point of them? Well, they're having, they're learning how to regulate their emotions. I think that's the crux of it. And as the brain is developing, you know, the kids are developing that prefrontal cortex that, you know, we have, and we still, you know, lose it sometimes as well. So when kids are having tantrums, they're really moving through these big feelings that they're trying to work through and they need our help to help plan out how they're going to solve those problems. Great. And is there anything that we can do before that 12 to 18 month mark where they really begin and ramp up to kind of avoid our kids being, I guess, like a tantrumer in the future? Well, all kids are wired differently. So they're all going, some kids are going to have more tantrums than others. Some are going to be, you know, you might think are really chilled out, but it's all because their brains are wired differently and their learning processes are different. So when kids are young and they're starting to have those tantrums, we really want to develop that vocabulary and we really want to teach them how to regulate those. So by getting down to their level, by supporting them, by empathizing with them, even showing them how to breathe through their big feelings and big emotions can really help them. And it's actually teaching them how to regulate their body. And also if we're using the language, like I can see you're angry, I can see you're frustrated, Mm. then we're teaching them to use that language with us so they can start to communicate that with us. It's really cute because Yumi's two and having terrible two tantrums left, right and centre and she had them, I reckon, probably from her first birthday. From birth. Yeah, from birth. <laughs> but um, she has been doing this thing like she's starting to speak and, you know, communicate a little bit more now even though she is having these tantrums. But if she's on the floor and having a meltdown, I'm like, is it because you're frustrated about the baby? Like are you angry about the baby because she just piffs it onto the floor and she just goes, yeah. And I'm like, hmm, should we go and do something about it? Like I feel like just supporting her and her knowing that I get that she's frustrated makes her calmer and she gets over it a lot quicker instead of like, what are you doing? What are you crying for? That is absolutely the key. They feel understood. They feel connected to you. You're empathizing with them. And, you know, they feel like they're not the only one in the world that's struggling with this because they feel understood. You get it. And that's that's really the number one key when you're, you know, dealing with the tantrum. So naming those emotions long before obviously they can talk and name them themselves, that's that's still beneficial. Yeah, it's helping yeah. to build that vocabulary. And even though they can't talk, they can still understand. Mm. And I think even though they might not know what the word means they're they're linking that feeling to your voice and they're feeling understood you know with our kids I think when we're close to them and we're connecting with them and we're empathizing with them they can feel it they might not necessarily hear us and there's some brilliant books out with pictures that show the expression of a child's or baby's face in a cartoon where it says angry and then the next one's happy and sad so when they are young and you can read them and show them that's a really nice way of understanding and them being able to see different different expressions and emotions. Yeah, that's perfect. And even if if it's not necessarily a book on emotions and you can see that the character is sad or angry or getting frustrated, you you can also point that out to your child as well to help them with that vocab. And when you do the emotions too. Yeah, Yeah, fully. (laughs) I'm like, mummy was cross and frustrated and she's very sorry, but see, I get frustrated too. But I think that's important because I do that a lot. So when I get in a heated, heated debate, with all my family, I do calm down and say, I'm sorry, everyone. I was just actually really frustrated. So there is like, if I'm giving them a reason afterwards, they understand and they can connect the emotion to the action. And you're modeling that. You're modeling how you calm down. And you're also, you know, it's developing also that self-talk, which is another skill, which is great for problem solving when your kid's getting a little bit older and they're getting really emotional. They've got that voice, your voice in oh, their God. head, talking them through how to calm down. And it's that rupture and repair as well. So those skills are great. So doing that, keep doing that. Oh, All right. Gosh. Well, I'm, I'm good. So I'm out of here. <laughs> you're an expert. Yeah. See ya. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. is perfect. Never, you know. Broken I love when it's like they've got your voice in their head. You're like, mm, there's sometimes the. <laughs> Yeah, no, probably best not to have my voice in your head. Is there any link between, I guess, the amount a child tantrums or or the like severity of it with their like emotional intelligence or their ability to control their emotions when they're older? I'm not a psychologist, yeah. but I would say not really. Yeah. 
if you are working with them through those big feelings and emotions, then they're just going to have as much chance of developing that emotional intelligence as someone that doesn't have tantrums. If you're leaving them to work it out by themselves and, you know, you're doing things that might not necessarily be responsive to them when they're feeling those big feelings, then that's probably going to have a bit of a detriment to Mm -hmm. their emotional intelligence. So everything that I teach really supports the well-being, developing that emotional intelligence, developing that resilience in kids. And I don't think it necessarily depends on how often they're having tantrums or whether they tantrum or not. So I'm a child, I'm tantruming on the floor. What do you recommend we do? Get down to their level, support them in any way you can. So whether that might be a hug, they might not want to be hugged then, that's fine. Don't leave them alone in it. Empathise with them. So if you know why they're what's triggered the meltdown, talk them through that. You're angry because, you know, for my child this was the other day, it was because I couldn't peel his apple. We're out. Couldn't peel his apple. You don't carry a peeler with you. No. What kind of mother are you? I will actually now probably. (laughs) As a weapon or as a natural peeler? And so when I told him, you're upset because I can't peel your apple, you're feeling angry because mummy can't peel your apple, he just calmed right down and that was all we really needed to do to minimise the length of that tantrum. And as you were saying before, Jade, just feeling understood and feeling connected and, you know, like he wasn't the only one in the world that has these big feelings really calmed him down. So that is the first step and you can narrate what's going on. You can, you know, again, use that vocabulary, talking about their feelings. So really that's the first step. However, often our kids have those meltdowns and tantrums when we've said no to something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we can still talk through exactly the same. You're upset because mum said no. You're upset because, you you know, you can't do this. You're upset because we have to go to the shops and we can't go to the park or, you know, you're still narrating that, but you're setting that boundary. And it might be we go to the park after or, you know, for, for me and my son, it was I can peel the apple for you when we get home. There might be something that you can do but you still have to set that boundary. You can't give in because that's probably going to mean next time they'll have longer and longer tantrums. I like later saying, yes, darling, later. And it's shifting to the rec. It's not as harsh as that no, so it doesn't combat with that big emotions that they're feeling and make it, you know, trigger it to be worse. I sometimes will go through a phase where, or a day where it might be that my child is, you know, really kind of triggered easily. And what I often go into is I go into fix it mode. Mm. And I was sharing on my Instagram the other day, I would just went into fix it mode. You know, it was, he wanted the iPad and he couldn't have the iPad. So I was like, you can have it later. We're going here now. And then maybe I'd, you know, have him looking forward to something when we were going out. And then it was, his shirt was wet. And I was like, okay, I'll change it soon. And it was just, everything was wrong. Mm. And it wasn't until I actually said, you're upset, you're sad. It actually has nothing to do with the T-shirt or the iPad. It doesn't. And then he was like, ah, yes, that's, and I had, you know, I had a bit of a cry and he really just needed that release. And I was kind of stopping it from happening because I was trying to fix everything. And I think we do go into fix it mode. My husband does that for me. Like sometimes I'll be complaining about something and he goes into fix it mode. And actually what I want right then and there is not a solution. It's just to be heard. So for example, you know, oh, I don't even know, like, I don't know, I'm having like a really crap day and he goes, oh, like, you know, why don't you just go for a walk or like get out? And sure, those things would probably make me feel better. But all I want is for him to go, oh, like I hear that you're having a crap day. Those things that happen must be really annoying. So it's that exact same thing. It's just not knowing how to deal with it. And I also read another thing that like kids have a lot of issues, like I guess, because, you know, they're still developing in linking ideas. So I used to always say like, if we're in the car and my daughter has a doll that she really loves and, you know, so she throws a tantrum because she doesn't have Lulu with her. And I'll say, we're nearly home and like that wouldn't make her feel better and I'd be like it's okay we're nearly home and to her it's Mm. like that's great we're nearly home how does that have anything to do with what I'm upset about now and now I'll say we're really close to home and Lulu's at home so you're gonna have Lulu soon and she calms down really quickly about it now whereas to me I didn't realize before she had no idea why I was telling her we're nearly home we're (laughs) nearly home or like I need a wee I need a wee we're nearly home yeah that's great you know, so like, oh, we're nearly home and then you can wait there. It's always saying there's a tree. Yeah. And hey, mum, like, I need yeah, to wait. Yeah, there's a tree. sick, there's a tree. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, definitely. I think three is also the age where they start to kind of get that. I'm noticing that with my son. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) When they can actually understand a little bit more Um, about time. I also have a tip. If you really do need to peel an apple, you can just do it with your own teeth. I That's fix it mode? Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. They actually don't want the apple peeled. They're more emotional. To yeah. be honest, if I knew that, I probably would have tried that first. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. And then got to the, oh, you just want the feel, you just want your feeling heard. And sometimes I feel like when they're in a tantrum, you're saying all these things, you're saying, you know, I know you're feeling upset and this must be really annoying for you or frustrating for you, but you don't feel like they can hear anything when they're in kind of the height of that meltdown. Should we then afterwards, I guess, continue that conversation when they've calmed down or do we just get on with the next thing? I think that depends. So if it is a massive meltdown and there was no behaviour involved, so it was just really they were just working through those big feelings and there was nothing really to learn from it. You were there helping them calm down. You were modelling how to regulate I probably wouldn't bring it up again. However, if if it was they were kicking you or hitting you or doing something else that was, you know, wrong uh, or something you'd like to prevent in the future, then definitely talk about that and bring it up and say, you know, when you're feeling angry, you know, mum's here, I'm near or dad's, dad's near, kicking's not okay and this is what you can do instead. You know, you might say that they can, you know, go and get angry in their bed and bash around on their bed or something like that, but kicking you is not okay. So you're still setting that boundary. And what about with self-harm? So a lot of toddlers tend to bang their head on the ground to hurt themselves. I don't know if that's an intentional thing that they like to feel or they're doing it to show mum, hey, look, I'm doing this. You're going to give me attention to stop. How do you respond to that when that happens? It will pass. And the phase also will pass. If it doesn't, I'd probably go see a GP. However, it is quite common. My, my son did it not when he was tantruming, when he learned to crawl, actually, he'd just bang his head on the window. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Goldie does that every now and again. Yeah. She'll hit the back of her head on the wall and yeah. she just like laughs at us. And I'm like, are you a psycho? Like, why are you like laughing at us while whacking your head on the wall? What are you doing? Stop it. So kids do that whether they're, you know, sometimes when they're tantruming or not. So you would just put something soft there, move them away from that. If they're hurting themselves, you grab them, you pick them up and you move them. You don't let them hurt themselves. Uh, it might be that you might move them to a bed if you really can't stop them so they can have that moment of you know getting whatever sensory stimulation they're getting however if you are really worried of course go go see a GP and they might pass you on to a pediatrician what is the normal length of a tantrum to last so a meltdown might not last very long and you might notice that it might stop as soon as you give in or if you you know are trying to put these strategies in place they can last up to two hours wow I would say if your child's in that state and they won't even get out of of it if they're given what they wanted it might be that you've you know tried to give them what they want or they're asking for something completely reasonable my son for example I think when he was about 18 months old was wanting milk a milk bottle and he was got the milk bottle milk bottle was not what he wanted he was just pushing it away he and I could tell he wasn't really awake it was mm. like he my daughter does there. that in the middle of the night all the time yeah yeah so in that sense, you know, that could go on for a while until they really kind of wake up and regulate and their brain really clicks into gear. And in that sense, it's nothing to worry about unless it's happening constantly all the time and you're really worried. And if it is happening all the time, like say you do have a child that wakes up and every morning you have a two-hour battle and you're exhausted because they're literally just having a tantrum about absolutely everything. It doesn't matter if you hand them four cereals or, you know, every breakfast on the sun, they're still not happy. How can you help that behavior? I would stay with them and I would start modeling how to breathe. And so, you know, just breathing with them. You might try talking one day and it might just be empathizing with them. You you know, you're feeling really upset. I can tell you're really upset. I probably wouldn't go on and on. Mm. I'd just leave them and write it out and, and you be there holding them. However, if you are really worried, definitely go and see your GP, but sometimes just empathizing with them. A lot of kids, and you know, you, you would know this, go through certain phases of behaviors. So if, if it's not passing, 
then I'd yeah go and see a GP if the empathy and the staying with them and the modelling of the breathing and calming down isn't really working. Everyone has been in that situation where their little one tantrums like in the supermarket or something and you feel like you have 750 eyes on you. What, what do you do in those situations where you're out in public? You just or want on a the, plane. Yeah, on the plane. The you just want to disappear. Do you do anything differently? No. So I would say, well, no and yes. So I would say in regards to the tantrum, yes, empathising with them, staying with them, holding them, try and relax as much as possible because they're going to feed off that stress and I know that that's really hard because you think all eyes are on you. However, they're probably on you more feeling a bit Mm. sorry for you rather than, (laughs) you know, thinking that you're doing something wrong. So just try and relax yourself and then if you can, get out of there as soon as possible because it's probably due to overstimulation and it might also be that, you know, all the lollies and at a certain level in the aisle if you're at the supermarket or it could just be that you're at a playground and you just move them away from that situation as best as you can. If you can in the moment stop that tantrum and then they might still need to have a little bit of a cry on the way home, that's okay. But, yeah, I'd probably just try and get your kids out of whatever is stimulating for them. The hardest thing that I was going through recently was Easter and Yumi doesn't have a lot of chocolate. Surprise, surprise. My whole family has so much chocolate, but we have just said no. We like, we can't let you be a chockey monster. But Easter came along and like if she found a chocolate and we said absolutely not, she couldn't comprehend that she couldn't have the chocolate. So she would fall on the floor, roll around, scream, scream, scream. And this went for five minutes, probably the longest that she's had a proper tantrum. And I was like, this is serious, like alien, crazy child crap. Like she was almost, what do you call it? Possessed. She was possessed about the chocolate. And I didn't know how to calm her down and say, make her understand that having chocolate isn't going to make her feel any better. It's actually going to make her feel worse. So I just sort of went, I'm sorry, I'm hiding the chocolate. There's no more chocolate. It's all gone. And then Billy would come out two minutes later and go, oh, I found this. And then it would happen all over again. So I don't know how to... I guess you're going to say don't have chocolate in the house, but like say there is something in the house that is a trigger, how do you combat that? I'd probably move it away from my level. So uh, my son has similar things over the iPad. So we just have the iPad out of sight. And so I'd have the chocolate out of sight. But then, yeah, when you've got other kids coming out with chocolate, (laughs) I can imagine that gets hard. But you're setting a boundary and boundaries are always hard. Saying no is hard for kids. And, you know, you're the parent and you've got to do it. You've got to say, you know, this is best for you right now. No, you can't have it. And it's hard as a parent to say that because you want to give your children everything. And with the first child, I felt like I was like, yeah, sure, have this. Yeah, sure, have that. But when you have three of them that are wanting sugar or they're wanting something specific, we have to be firm. My husband's the firm one where he's like, you have to brush your teeth. You can't have sugary drinks. You can't have this. But to be consistent, exactly what you're saying, setting boundaries is actually one of the... the I think it gets harder with each child though, because obviously things are appropriate for different ages. So it's, I feel like with the first, it's not easy because it's the first time you're going through it, but at least if you're setting a boundary for one child, they're not seeing someone else who the boundary is different for. So it can be so hard. Also, I think, so Poppy, who's a toddler and then Goldie's younger, like Poppy might get in trouble for something more because she should understand better than Goldie. Like, for example, like, you know, if Goldie will push Poppy and Poppy knows that if Poppy pushed someone, she would get in trouble for that. And of course we say, Goldie, don't push, but she's like, well, she should say sorry. And I'm like, she can't speak yet. So she can't. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think it gets awkward when there's multiple children and the boundaries are different for each child or the rules are slightly different because they're age appropriate rules. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. But, you know, we've still got to make sure that our kids' needs are met and they're feeling safe and secure and boundaries are part of that. Yeah. Like, what do you say? Like, it's it's different for them like for example with the chocolate like maybe billy can eat more chocolate than yumi because billy's 
six and Yumi's two. Like what would you say to a two-year-old about that? Well, I think that you'd probably, if they are Mm. getting into the, they are really tantruming and they're having a lot of big feelings around the chocolate, you would probably talk to Billy and you'd change that environment. So it's like if your child is, you know, climbing on something and it's dangerous, you would move, you would change the environment Mm. to stop it from happening again because Yumi's really not probably going to understand that. Yeah. So, you know, there's no point talking her through that or there's no, yeah, there's there, her brain just doesn't understand. Can't, can't understand can't age. Comprehend that. Yeah. So you change the environment. Yeah. You change Billy. <laughs> it's easier. Yeah, definitely. Simple. Simple. So simple. Okay, how the F do we get our kids in the car smoothly? And in the pram. You have to have like origami Goldie into the pram at the moment and you feel so bad out in public because you have to be you're gonna push quite their stomach forceful and, yeah. with it and you're like, I'm not hurting her. I swear. Or you might have another way where I don't have to fold her in half and force her in. <laughs> well, there is that. But car, let's talk about the car instead of the pram okay. for a moment. The car is just so much fun for toddlers. Like it moves, oh, it there's beeps, buttons. there's buttons, everything is going on in the car. And, of course, it, we know if they're watching any cartoons, there's usually cars involved, <laughs> you know, it's just so much fun. So that, for my son, he would want to play in the car. So that was actually the main issue. It wasn't actually getting to yeah, the car it's the it's, front seat it's the playing in the car and no not actually getting into the seat so there's a few ways we can do it they want to play in this moment so I would play with them you know the car seat might be for me at the moment it's a spider-man seat and he gets super gecko muscles when he gets in the seat you know or uh, another way that can work if, it, if you can't think of a game mainly with the younger ones it's can you do this by yourself or would you like me to help you <gasps> been doing That's that great. and it, it makes all the difference yeah. I've been doing I it with do bath I'm like I said either way you're getting in the bath so are you getting in the bath or is mommy going to put you in the bath and because she's sassy independence queen she's like no I'm a big girl I put myself in the bath it makes such a difference anyway keep going but yeah. I agree um that doesn't work forever as I know <laughs> <laughs> personally on a personal level it worked really well for ages but uh, as with anything with kids it, you know things change so play has been one of the really good things also, I just want to mention with that, you know, when you say, can you do this by yourself or would you like me to help you? If they are sort of running away from you, you would then, you know, car seats are a safety issue. So you do actually need to physically then put them in the car seat. Hopefully you don't get there and you get, you know, a bit creative with games and things like that. But obviously sometimes the kids, they want that sense of control and they do need to sometimes be physically put in there. Is it good or bad? Will it develop trust issues if you were to say, if you don't get in your car seat, the police are coming? <laughs> Asking for a friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That friend. I can see it right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know about developing any issues. I just don't think it will work forever because they'll figure out that the police actually don't come. And to be honest, Poppy loves police cars, so she's probably like, yes, the police no, are coming. No, I used to do this with the two girls because they would fight in the back of the car and I said, if you guys continue to fight and not sit in your seats properly, the police are going to pull you over. And we did this so much, I would drive around and in Byron, the police stations like in the main area. So I'll be like, I'm going to turn in. I actually put my indicator on to turn in. And they'd be like, no, 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 no. And then there was this discussion when they went to primary school about how wonderful policemen are. And if you were ever like stuck anywhere, you would go and see a policeman. And me, or woman. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and Mia was like, why would I see them if that's the naughty spot? And I was like, oh, fuck. Okay. We need to re redo this whole situation. So now I <laughs> backed off the police and they know that if you were in trouble that you would go and see them and now they're old enough to understand that you know you just have to put your fucking seatbelt on yeah. yeah you probably don't want them scared of the police no yeah. no so it's not actually the best thing yeah strategies to get your toddler to cooperate without using bribery or threats or a bribery and threats okay Are they the only way, I thought? Play is the best way to get your kids to listen to you. You make up a game and it could be as simple if you're leaving the park, you, you know, whatever they're into at the moment, whether it be unicorns or butterflies or if they're into chasing, they chase you to the car. I always try, uh, ask my child to do something first and then if if I know that it's going to be a battle, I will think of a game. And when you're under pressure and you need to get somewhere, sometimes you can think of the best games and then you just run with it for a while. 
However, sometimes we really just need to get going and, yeah. we, and we can't think of a game and that's okay too. We need to, you know, they still need to learn how to listen. But honestly, play any power games as well that you can play where your child is winning over you. So wrestling's really good. Or like sickos just always wanting to win. <laughs> <laughs> they've got such little control in their world and any time that you can play out where they've got that control can be great. You know, if it's something that's been going on for a while, like there and there might be a little bit older and it's you know struggling you're struggling to get out of the house every morning and they're old enough to do some some things that's when you have a conversation with them and you get them on board with ideas and things like that and they get that sense of control around what they're going to do in the morning so putting it back on them okay we're having you know this is an issue not that they're the issue not that you're the issue it's just this is the issue that we've got in the morning how how do you think we can solve this and they might come up with some terrible ideas and they might come up with some really good ideas or you might come up with some ideas together but them having that input and uh, being will heard help, and being heard will help in the morning because when we're trying to get our kids to listen to us or follow our instructions they're in their own world and they're loving what they're doing and they're they're actually learning you know when they're playing they're learning and I think if we can really ignite that part of that brain when we're trying to get them to do something for us, it can be really rewarding for everyone and it can feel really good. So, for example, because sometimes I think using examples is really helpful and I'm going to use an example of my own life. So, you know, you're basically parenting my children for me. So Poppy is really difficult to get dressed in the morning and she'll fixate on like one T-shirt she wants to wear, but like that T-shirt was worn yesterday, so it's in the wash. So that is like always what slows us down in the morning is getting dressed. So how would I turn that into you know, her okay. being a part of the situation? Well, because Poppy's just th- uh, three, uh, she might not be able to come up with any ideas herself. But what I would suggest here is possibly getting her involved the night before. Mm. We're doing this tomorrow, if you know what you're doing. I mean, obviously, there's going to be times when you actually just need to get a, a shirt on and you need to get out of the house. But if you do know what you're doing and you're going through this at the moment, then the night before planning out what she's going to wear and get her involved and so she can feel really excited. And that way you've got the time for her mm. to explore her clothes and, mm. and, and get out what she wants. There still might be an argument in the morning Mm. she might decide that that's not what she wants to wear that day but that's also too bad because it's in the wash and unfortunately it will probably avoid some meltdowns but not all. When your toddler is doing something dangerous or being rough at the playground or something like that how do we get them to stop without using threats? So in regards to doing something dangerous I would move them or help them get out of whatever situation. If they've climbed up something that's too high at the playground, talk them through how to get down. So you're teaching them that safety, knowing then they'll be able to get down safely next time they get up that. And then also changing the environment. So you might want to, if it's something in your house that they're continually going towards and it's dangerous, move it out of the way as best you can. Can't always do that though. So we might just need to block them and distract them before they get to it. If it's something that they're fixated on, Otherwise, just moving them away. If they're really young, they're not going to understand much. On the other scale, though, Mia's nearly eight and she has this, I don't know what it is, but it's like this aggression almost that when she gets told no or when she gets told a certain thing or can't have her own way or dad annoys her, she doesn't actually go and physically hit you, but she actually does get like that she wants to like, I guess, physically, it's like she can't express it verbally. So she wants to physically express it. But we have tried to say to her, you can't like try and hurt people. Like you can't try and scratch dad or you can't try and like pretend to beat him up, but she gets really frustrated and that's the way she does things. So we're, we're really trying to understand how we can go about her not turning into a, um, a serial killer. She's probably doing it with you guys because it's safe. So it might be that there's been a lot of stuff going on at school and she hasn't been able to really express herself. So she's coming home and she's expressing it with her safe people. Uh, and it's a bit of a release for keeping it together all day. And she knows that, you know, you guys are going to love her no matter what. And you're going to also stop her from doing those things that she really wants to do. But if she does it with her sister, 
like Billy cops it. She actually gets hit. So that means with firm boundary, there needs to be a, a consequence set and talking her through what she can do. So so what you're doing already, talking her through those emotions, the emotions are fine, but the behavior's not, mm. but also telling her what she can do. So it might be that she might just go to her room and have a chill out time. It might be that there's something that she really enjoys to do and, and can be a bit rough with, you know, uh, soft teddies or, or whatever, <laughs> age appropriate things that she she might be able to she's probably not into soft teddies being eight but you know things like that it might be also that you can then get in and suggest a bit of a a power game like a pillow fight or something where she can kind of get the aggression out but it's soft and you know gets a laugh and something like that as well to really um, help her process those emotions Mm. that she's feeling so how do consequences and threats differ like you know because I mean tell me if I'm wrong but I know that like generally experts in this area they don't recommend and threats but how is a consequence different and how can we use it to be like a positive thing rather than a negative thing so there are sort of two or three types of consequences there's a parent imposed consequence that's got no relation to the you know behavior whatsoever it might be that they've hit someone down at the park so then they can't have the ipad that's got no relation it's not teaching them anything right what you want to do is consequences that teach so things like natural consequences will also teach so if you go out you know without any shoes on in spring and there's you go on the grass there's bindi you know that's a consequence of not wearing shoes right. uh, and that's a natural consequence. Yeah. However, obviously we can't always rely on natural consequences. Unfortunately, be- <laughs> no. <laughs> so we need a consequence <laughs> that relates to the behaviour. Right. So it might be if for the hitting example or the scratching, you move, is it Billy or yep. Mia? Me is the abuser. So you'd move uh, Mia away. Right. And, you know, she might have to spend some time with you talking about, you know, her angry, why she's so angry. You know, that's tight. Timing is, can be really helpful for most situations with, when you're working through a consequence or you're wanting to teach a behavior because you can really talk them through what they can do. You can help them express themselves, help them regulate. Mm. I mean, the brain isn't fully developed till you're about, you know, 21 anyway. So even Shit. though she's eight and you think that she's going to know better, those yeah. neural pathways Everyone listening building. to this is like, I thought I just had to get through them being three and we'd be out the other end and you're going, my eight-year-old. And I was like, oh, I've got to deal with this till you're eight. Now you're telling me bloody 21. Oh, I know, well. but I There's do, someone else's problem by then. But I do, I do actually agree with you because once I say to her, like, are you frustrated with Billy? Is this, is, is this why it's going on? Maybe you guys need some time apart. Would you like to come and do this and you come and do this? But it's as a parent, when you're doing a, a lot of other things and running around and trying to cook dinner, it's really really exhausting to stop and have to you know it, what we're this whole episode's about trying to nut out the right things to say and do so sometimes I'm like you know what I'm exhausted at this time of night get into your room and have some quiet time Billy sit on the couch like I just I, I don't probably act as what I should do like I should probably go in there and sit down and go all right why are you frustrated why are you feeling like this I know that you you know you need to be supported however there are times where I'm just like You just need to go to your room because I can't have this conversation with you right now. And if it's something that's going on and on, so then that can end up being quite frustrating because you're feeling like you're having that conversation all the time. You can do things around when she gets home from, is it normally on a school day? Yeah, it's always holidays where they spend too much time together because they're like twins. You can then start to put some things in place, especially if it's an ongoing behaviour and that you don't have to put it in place forever. You know, two weeks should be enough. And then also Mia might also learn when she's feeling, you know, a bit stressed after a school day. When they're at school, they've got absolutely no control. Mm. They get told where to Mm. eat. They get told where to play. They get told what to do all day. There's not a lot of freedom. So if they are feeling big feelings around friendship groups and things like that, which can be really hard for both boys and girls at school, you know, they, they come home and they want to unleash that. So giving them that space when they get home, okay, here's some food because they're usually hungry. Oh, so you're saying do this before they've even gotten to that point saying, here's your time to yourself to do. That's a great idea. With any behavior that's ongoing, you know, there's things that we can do in the moment of one-off behaviours, yep. but if you're seeing that this is ongoing, mm-hmm. try and prevent it as much as possible because what you're doing is you're building new habits and you're also teaching them what to do when they have these feelings. Mm. You're teaching them what to do when they get home from school. You'll notice if you do this for two weeks, they'll start asking for idea. it and they're probably going to start doing it naturally. And then if they're feeling okay, they might 
you know, gravitate and play play together. Are they kind of conscious enough to go, oh, because of this action, I feel better. So when I'm feeling that way, I will implement an action like this. So for example, will Mia go, oh, having some time to myself makes me feel better and we're fighting less. So maybe in the future when I'm feeling really angry, some time to myself will feel good or are they probably not able to make that connection? I think even at eight, it would still need to be something that you might talk to me yeah. about. So it's it's mentioned and it's saying, don't you feel better when you do this? They might, but probably not. I probably wouldn't rely on them yeah. just getting that cause yeah. and effect. Yeah. It, it probably still needs to be explicitly talked about. And another thing I was going to mention, which is a great strategy to do with ongoing behaviours, especially for older kids, is creating a storybook. And you can have their input on this. When I feel frustrated, I, these are the things I can do. And, you know, it's got their pictures of them doing it, you know, with a big smile on their face. Eight might start to be getting a little bit old for this, sort of if they're in uh, maybe prep to two Mm -hmm. they can start having that story around what they do when they have Mm. these big feelings and they see themselves as a pitch literally you've taken a picture with of them on their on your phone doing that behavior after they've been feeling you know you can have a bit of fun with it and get them to pull the angry faces I can go and do this when I feel angry and you know over about two weeks having this little book that you've you've made together can be a great way of teaching them what to do when they're feeling like this because they can see themselves doing it and you're not actually just telling them to do it that's so great and they must feel so stoked to see themselves in a story yeah and it's called that's called social story so schools well the schools that I've worked at use them a lot so are things like if you do that again we're going home are they unrelated links that they won't understand because I guess that's a common threat that it's like you know you're at a friend's house you know if you push that person again well then we're gonna have to go home are they too unrelated no they wouldn't that would be definitely related consequence right and that would be teaching them that you know they need space and it's that's twofold you're giving them space because they, they could be possibly a bit overstimulated in that moment you know for my son he gets really overexcited sometimes as well and can't regulate mm. so that's when he might hit or something like that so uh, instead of resorting to that straight away though move them away first especially with hitting move them away first sit with them you know explain the the boundary ask them if they're looking or well, you might already know this or you know depending on their age are they looking to play is there something you can tell Mm. them how to play or is it that they're angry because a toy was stolen? What Mm. can they do? They need an out. They don't have that out. Their out is I feel angry, I've got the urge to do this, so I'm going to do it. They need another behaviour or another activity to go and do in that moment uh, and that's only going to come from us seeing the whole situation. Then if they continue to do it and you're in a space where you can go, I'd probably go home. But always follow through with it if you've said that thing. (laughs) Yes, always follow through. Yeah, I hate when you accidentally say it and then you're like, oh, we've actually got to go now and I don't want to (laughs) go. If, you know, and for uh, for us mums, social situations are so important and yeah. we don't always want to leave no but it might be that we you know if we're at the playground for example and it's outside we'll just go take them for a bit of a walk yeah and you might just maybe stop yourself from saying go home and say we've got to go yeah and then that way mm. you're following through you're going away but you're not <laughs> losing we've got to go and then you walk away and then we can come back and then because you're probably going to get a meltdown with that we'll come back later when you're ready yeah or when you you, you know, you're going to play on this equipment and not hit. Yeah, that's great. And then if the time comes and you really want to go home and that's your out, well, you can go home too. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. What to do when asking your toddler something and they just flat out ignore you? So kids have a really hard time focusing on anything other than what they're doing, as you probably know. So we've got to get their attention first. We can't be yelling from the kitchen while they're playing blocks and thinking that they're actually hearing us. They might even respond. And and this could be for eight-year-olds. You know, you might notice this with me yeah, as I well. I notice this in the classroom. And 30-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you hear what I said? Nah. <laughs> Exactly. So we've really got to engage them first. 
Now, there's... Look at my. Look at my, Kermie, look at my. The theory on this is we've got our left side of our brain and our right side of our brain. The left is always logic. That's sort of where I guess we're living when we're asking, you know, we're needing kids to follow our instructions or do something. They're very much in the right brain. They're in play mode. They're in creative mode, all that great right brain stuff. I need to spend more time in my right brain and get out of my left brain. (laughs) So if we were to engage them first and we can engage them in play, that's why play really works when we're getting kids to listen to us and and do what we want. (laughs) It's just so exhausting. (laughs) It is. It is really exhausting. But I would just get their attention away from what they're doing and in a fun way, you know, for them, that's their work. So we've got to think about, you know, I know that we're trying to get dinner ready. We're trying to do everything. We might want them to set the table or something. And this is our work. They're doing their work. They're learning so much in their play and we want to bring them over to us. So we might say, oh, you know, if you want them to set the table, you might give them a choice here. Do you want to, which color do you want to choose for your cutlery or your cup or, or whatever? Or, you know, you might even make it a bit exciting and say, you know, do you want your Paw Patrol plate or your unicorn plate yeah, or whatever, you know, and it's this is twofold as well because you're giving them a choice. They've got some control here, but you're also making a little bit more interesting for them rather than can you set the table. Why do toddlers tend to hurt one parent but not the other? So – I don't know the context around this situation and it could go twofold as well here. It might be that they feel really safe and secure with that one parent so they know that there's no relationship that's going to be damaged no matter what they do so they can get all their frustrations out on that parent. Or it might be that they're trying to connect with the other parent that they're not that connected with. So how to sort of manage both of those scenarios, if it's the parent that's not really their primary caregiver and you might think that that's what they're trying to do, they're trying to get that touch, they're trying to get that connection, they just don't know how to do it, you might have a a moment or, you know, a daily thing of rough play with them or pillow fights or something where they can touch and grab in a safe way so they're getting all that, you know, that love in their love language, which is play. And they're also, you know, getting the touch that they need and they're learning how to connect with that other parent. If it's for the connected parent, then a boundary really needs to be set. And then that's the when you go to the, the tantrum strategy of really empathizing with them, but blocking the hits. You don't want to let them hit you. And saying, I won't let you hit me can be really powerful for kids as well, because they know that they're safe from doing anything that they're going to regret later. And you're keeping them safe there. They're not going to hit you. They're not going to then feel bad about hit you because you're not going to let them, you're blocking it. Mm. So things like, I can tell you're really upset, but I'm not going to let you hit me. Yeah. It's not okay to hit. Yeah. So a powerful phrases, I won't let you break that. I won't let you hit your sister. I won't let you. And you're actually stepping in and you're putting that boundary in place and you're blocking it. I won't let you do that. And they will feel safe and secure in that. They might still want to, but you're, you know, children really do need boundaries. They can't be let to go do whatever they please because they're not going to feel good. They're not going to feel safe and secure. And they're actually not going to feel really connected either. They're just going to feel lost. And that's the same with giving them too much power in your relationship. There really needs to be that healthy balance of having power and a bit of control in choice and that developmental control that they might get, but not having too much where they feel lost and they've got too many decisions to make. Mm. My husband has, and he's obviously the only male in the house except for the dog, and he has this relationship with the two older girls where it doesn't matter what he sees, like he's so affectionate. So he'll go, he'll say, can I have a cuddle or can I come here? Or he's always trying like, oh, do you want to come and play this with me or that? And they're like, no, and they're always so dismissive and rude and like, I don't know, I actually do feel a little bit sorry even though he's really annoying because he is, he's trying to get their attention. But I don't know how to make them like Billy in the morning all you hear is stop, stop, don't, and it is so frustrating. I don't know if I have to yell at him because I'm like, she doesn't want you to cuddle her. She doesn't want any attention. I have to say to her, just give him a hug and then he'll be over it. I don't know like how to balance that or maybe I shouldn't and not get involved. Well, she's setting her boundaries there and she's you know, I think that's really important to develop. And, um, you know, I want to say, especially in girls, yeah, you know, to be able to say no and and to be, and that for that, I'm going to say to be respected, but, and then have, you know, 
not necessarily wait for them to come to him, but he might ask. And they're also expressing their power. There's a few things going on yeah. here. They're expressing their power and control that they don't get a lot of, as I was talking about before. But they're also trying to assert themselves and assert their boundaries. So dad needs to respect that and also not feel bad about it and, and think, oh, my girls are empowered and, <laughs> you know, have a have a different view of it. So I think he needs to change his view or maybe mm. even, you know, you do not to feel bad and just, you know, yeah. to be like, it's, yeah, go girl. It's one of those things that I guess I'm becoming more and more conscious of and I guess is being talked about more as time goes on how important it is to not fall into that trap of, you know, give grandpa a hug or like you know and you and you know that like that family member may get offended by them not hugging but I guess it is so important for them to be able to say no I don't want to and mm. and often they are they're in the middle of playing a game and, they and they're like them. shush stop I don't yeah yeah my parents have never got upset when my able my eldest has not not hugged them they're like okay that's fine this is an interesting one and I guess applies to quite a lot of our listeners who are co-parenting, but what to do when a child says, but I can do this at so-and-so's house? So what I would do if it's becoming an issue, you know, you want to set your boundaries for your house and that's very fair. And depending on the age, my son's three, but he still, he does actually get that there's certain behaviors that he can do at home that he can't do at daycare. Mm. For example, I got talked to by the daycare teacher the other day, he was blowing raspberries and she was saying that he was spitting at her and it was just blowing raspberries and he does it all the time at home to us as a bit of a game. So I had to have the conversation with him it's okay to do it with mum and dad but it's not okay to do it at daycare and then what I would do is I actually involved it a lot more in our play at home and he started asking can I blow raspberries at you can I blow raspberries at daddy you know and started asking that and I was like he actually gets this which blew me away yeah so children do understand that there are different rules at different places and they can understand this like Poppy would never ask for a donut with us but no she's getting a donut at a grandparent's house yeah (laughs) exactly at any time of the day yeah but how to combat this as well because obviously you don't want if you know the child's getting really upset every time they're getting told no and you know it sounds like that child's trying to assert a bit of control Mm. here what I would do is I would actually get them and sit down and have a look at some of the rules if they're old enough you can write these down even if they can't read the power of having some rules written down and knowing that those words say this can be really powerful getting them to have that input in the rules in the house and then understanding why. So I would say, you know, from two and a half upwards, they can start to have that. And they probably are over two if they're starting to question those rules with Mm. you. So having that input into the house rules, putting their suggestions on the rules as well, and maybe even possibly you could give them some control in some things. You know, if they if it's climbing or, or, or something that they want to do, you can do that in your bedroom, but you can't do that in the lounge. And so you're saying, okay, we can have, be a bit flexible with this one rule, but here's where you can do it. Anytime we can give our children some developmental control and power in a situation can be really helpful. But it, yeah, they're pretty clever. Boundaries. They're pretty clever little things. They're mm. so selective. Like that meme we saw and it's like, why can my child never find their shoe but can find every chocolate? egg in the garden like you know what I mean they can find things if they really want to but uh, I guess it just comes down to playing does it if you make this a playful thing then they're going to be more interested and intrigued to do it because that's their language you can get into habits as well like I know it's hard to do all the time but I've really found with my son we've got into the habit now and then he actually initiates the games you know with the spider-man seat that I mentioned before he actually made that up he said mm. he was, his seat was Spider-Man and then I just go with it. So a lot of the times if you start to incorporate play, they come up with their own suggestions. Mm. How I started with this was we were struggling a bit at bedtime, you know, getting him to bed and it was giving him a choice and making it playful. So do you want to go? And we just started out with animals. It was a kangaroo or a snake. How do you want to go to bed? And then now he's just saying, I want to go to bed like this. You know, we don't yeah. even give a choice now. He's saying, I want to, you know, be Superman. Uh, no, Spider-Man. Spider-Man's the thing at the moment. I can't say Superman. <laughs> yeah, don't you dare get it wrong, Mum. <laughs> and just to finish off, tech in TV screen times is a big thing. Do you know if there's any correlation between 
like screen time early and tantruming in the future or the amount of screen time and the amount of tantrums a kid will have? There's not not been much research exactly with, you know, screen time and tantrums. However, often when our kids are having tantrums because they're overstimulated and TV and screens can be very stimulating, it might also be that they're not recognising hunger cues or tired cues Mm. because they're watching TV and they're just getting, you know, so so zoned out. So I'm not sure about the correlation between Mm. that and tantrums. However, there's often tantrums around screen time often, you know, turning off the screen or, or those boundaries that need to be set by us and they really do need to be set around screen time because kids cannot set their own boundaries around this. And so do you have any tips for setting those boundaries around screen time? Always giving them some control. It just really helps. We're setting the boundary. We're saying TV's going off now. Do you want to turn it off or do you want mum to turn it off? Also using natural breaks in the TV, not stopping the show right in the middle for them. You know, we're all busy and sometimes that might not necessarily be able to happen, especially if we're going out the door and we haven't seen that particular break in the show and they've got to stop it halfway through. That's your decision to make and you're the boundary setter in the house so they they need to be able to know that TV is going off but we can make it easier by offering them some control. Also shifting to the yes if possible, you know, you can have the TV later or, you know, whatever you can do to ease the blow of, you know, TVs going off and that's it. You know, that's sort of the authoritarian approach of saying, you know, that's because I said so. Giving them some choice helps ease that blow a little bit and gives them that little bit of element of control. I found that because sometimes, I mean, we're trying to steer away from YouTube because YouTube does my head in because the shows go for like an hour and 10 minutes and are just so addictive. Oh, and the accents are just yeah. painful. And I feel like you don't have control over what comes next or as you do with other shows. So sometimes if you can't use those natural breaks, I've found being like I'm setting a timer. So even though they don't comprehend that mm. like what is two minutes, they know that when the timer goes off, that's it. That's it. And another thing I found really helpful is instead of it just being like, okay, it's turning off now, go play, is really having like an interim activity. So like saying something silly or, or asking her about what was happening in, in the show so that she feels like, oh, I'm really interested what you were doing. I found that helps a lot. Whereas if I just like turn it off and be like, okay, go into your room now and play, there's just zero chance of that, that happening. Yeah. And the science behind what you're doing already is that you're, you're connecting with her right brain, you know, know you're connecting with her in that play Mm. and when you start with connection and then you you know you direct after that you're always going to you know well we're not always going to win 99% (laughs) time you're going to win I do also want to mention about you know with YouTube it's like social media because they've got that control on the on the iPad a friend of mine said that and I've just been like it is it's like Instagram isn't it they've got all that control of the videos uh yeah yeah I if she's ever looking at it on a tablet she does she watches something for like two seconds and then clicks to the next one and clicks. But I'm honestly trying to phase it out because I just find it so annoying. We we had a stint for our older girls that were on the kids' YouTube and it got to a point where we were just like, this is just, it's not beneficial. You're not, like, it, I think even watching Bluey is educational and it, it's good stuff. So we have a rule now. There is absolutely no YouTube. The only thing that they're allowed to watch when they have TV or iPad time is Netflix or like a ABC, ABC Kids. Kids. And then other than that, they can have reading eggs or they can have a educational game if they want to be, you know, have quiet time, but stimulate themselves in that, that sense. So yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting, isn't mm. it? And another thing with screen time is, you know, it's that reward that they're getting from all that stimulation but there's no effort. So with play, there's effort there. So we really want to not use too much screen time because we want them to be building mm. the other, you know, other areas of the brain by playing and putting effort in and getting a reward. That's really what we want to teach our children. And isn't it, I, I don't know if it's a new kind of like frame of thought, but I've seen a lot of it on Instagram, how beneficial it is to teach our kids that it's okay to be bored. What's that about? <laughs> well, I think it just develops that creativity and yeah. there's going to be times when there is nothing to do. And in this day and age, like even when we're lining up, we're yeah. scrolling and stuff like that. So when we were growing up, we didn't have that and we were bored. So I don't actually know, again, I'm not a psychologist, what yeah. the, the, the proper science around that is. We don't want them to be so bored <laughs> that they're, you know, causing a, a mess or wreaking havoc <laughs> or anything like that um, or getting really frustrated because they're bored. We want to 
it. We need to teach them, you know, what to do when how to be constructive and, and when how to be constructive. Yeah. yeah, we have these boxes at home that are a Lego box, a creative box with like drawing and coloring books, and like there's a few other things that are not messy things that they can do. So every time they actually say we are bored. I'll say go to the board cupboard and pull out something and you'll find something. And there are, there's like yoga snap, there's heaps of stuff that they can do. And at the moment over the holidays, we've just kept the Lego box out. And I love Lego because they are, they're creating things using their brain all the time. And last night, Yumi came home and broke her wrist. Mia created this big Lego word. It said, I love Yumi in Lego. Like it was just cute that that's what she did. So yeah, it's. That's way more constructive then I'm bored oh hi I'm mum oh (laughs) the worst the worst well thank you so much is there anything else you'd like to leave us with help our listeners get through these tantrums now that they know they're going to go for 21 years (laughs) so I think if we can get in and when we you know see our kids on a verge of a tantrum common triggers are being hungry lonely or tired or angry so the acronym (laughs) is HALT so if we can get in early and feed them or you know try and put them to bed or just even just understand what they're what they're going through it can really help us stay calm in the moment help them calm down and actually give them what they need they might be yelling for something else but we're thinking mm. oh and, and usually for my son it's tired um especially if it's one thing after the other and then you're like why am I in this fix it mode and it's like okay this has nothing to do with the shoes or the yeah wet t-shirt like you said before yeah they just really need to be empathized with and I think for my son that particular day he needed to go to sleep mm. <laughs> and was you know we had the um nap time battle as often you know you do you get it three but yeah if we can just work out what's actually wrong it can really it can help us connect with them at a different level and make empathizing with them make narrating what's going on for them a lot easier because we're calm we're not stressed and another thing I want to mention is just taking a deep breath before we start to get in that chaos with our child you know we really need to help them with the calm I read a quote that said an escalated parent cannot de-escalate an escalated child and I thought that was true. Like when you're in that flight or fight mode with them, it's just not going to work well. You're not going to teach them anything. You really need to teach them how to calm down and you do that by modelling, by calming down yourself. And that can be really powerful for your kid to see you calming down. And if they are a bit older and you're going through some sort of struggle yourself, you know, it could be that you've dropped a plate and everything's a mess or, you know, something's going wrong at home, you can say, I just need to go outside and take a breath. Say it out loud Mm. and then they can hear you and then again that voice becomes, you know, their voice and they can, they're learning from us all the time. That's really beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us today, Alex. It's such an important topic because I feel like, yeah, everyone goes through it but feel alone and embarrassed or whatever by their children's tantrums. So, yeah, it's really important to get these strategies. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.